Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tea Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, and this week my guests are Dynamic Duo, Armin Mersman and Valerie Allen, who are artists and what's now there's a couple of different titles here. Artist podcasters. They have a new podcast uh-huh. and they are gallery curators, curators, here uh, you go, curators. painters and abstract painters. So welcome to Tia Time with Artists. <laughs> I'm glad to have fellow new podcasters with me because I know as artists, we delve into lots of different worlds. What? Tell me a little bit about whoever wants to go first is fine, but tell me a little bit how you guys got started. In- I'm going to go first on this because I've been listening to podcasts for a couple of years, driving back and forth to Bay City, and I'm just captivated by them. So I approached Armin about it and kept talking about it and talking about it. And finally, we agreed. Right, Armin? Certainly, a year and a half, COVID, and I started teaching right away on Zoom. I was teaching eight Zoom classes, and people had questions, and it slowly morphed into that. Uh, The Zoom classes were very successful, and then we started thinking about podcasts, but we looked at our podcasts, and there's just a whole lot of them. But uh, that's never prevented us from doing anything before. So uh, we are too strong on the podcast right now. We have two of them. And we, we know, we realize it's going to take a while to pick up, but we're determined to make this work. And, uh, and uh, Yeah, and we had a chance meeting where I had a chance meeting with the grandson of one our an exhibiting artist at Studio 23, and Taylor Kramer from Cold Shower Media started started asking him a lot of questions, and so he's guiding us through this, Tia. Okay. Okay, so tell me, what's the name of the podcast, and where can people find you? Art Ladders, and right now they can find us on Spotify, and uh, let's see, Anchor, it's not quite on Apple yet. We're still working up our listenership. So hopefully it'll be there soon. But I would say Spotify is the easiest. So now, did this start out as a, a talk that you guys did monthly or weekly in the Studio 23? Or the- well, let me answer this one. It started years ago because of Art Prize. If you're familiar with Art Prize, okay. Art Prize is the, the biggest money-making, if you win first prize, you win, you know, a quarter of a million dollars and all this stuff. But anyway, we I was working as a curator at the Center for the Arts, and Val was managing the museum store at the time, 
And they asked us to, to do this program called He Said, She Said. I would pick out my 10 pieces. And then we would, uh, I think we charged $5 or something like that. We had an auditorium. We get about 40, 50 people interested. And that's how it started out as a He Said, She Said. It was a little bit of this. They wanted us to argue about this piece and that piece. It was always fun. Is that kind of what brought this on, Val? I would say so. Those, those talks and we do dual critiques for artists. And they, they do like to hear the two different opinions. One from a realist, as you are, Armin, and then an abstractionist, as I am. And it, it was a lot of fun. And then it grew out of our... Every Saturday, we just take time to sit here at home and we talk art for a couple of hours in the morning, drinking coffee. And so it's a coffee talk situation, too. <laughs> All right. Well, so you brought a little bit of your home life into the to the art gallery, and now you're taking it out into the broader experience in the broader world. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about how you guys started independently in your different fields of art. And we'll start with you, Valerie. Okay, yes. My art uh, career began very early on, basically high school on. I've always, I've been so lucky to always have art-related jobs in all sorts of fields, such as design, curating, interior design, all of these different uh, professions that I've had over the years. And I have to say my, my favorite profession, which I'm now working toward completely, is pretty much full-time artist. Arm and I just this morning were talking about, hey, are you retired or are you a full-time artist? And basically, we're striving to be full-time artists. For most artists, that start early on. Uh, my parents and myself, we immigrated here from Germany. I was seven years old. My dad was hired in Germany to do a whole bunch of mural projects in Frankenmuth, Michigan, so he was an artist. I grew up in the arts. Everybody I knew was an artist, so I thought this is what everybody did. And kept going from that and went to school and did everything from commission work in arts to managing a big frame store in Chicago, and, uh, working in a museum, running a school, being manager of a school, uh, being head of installation in a museum, and then finally being curator of that museum at Midland Central for the Arts. Uh, but all, art has always been part of me. I'm not one of these people who says, I have to do it all sometimes. It's not, nothing quite that dramatic. But I do feel whole when I'm making art. And doing these Zoom classes this year and a half, I've actually done less art than I used to because it takes a lot of work to get these to work properly. It's definitely one of those transitions or pivot times right now because of the whole COVID situation. In Michigan, we've just got okay to open everything back up but it, we're also probably in very soon going to get the directive to shut back down again because of the variants are running rampant all over the country right. and all over the world it's an odd time you've got so many different kinds of art that you all do between the two of you i know you both have on your if you go to your websites you both have on there that you do encaustics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and can you someone explain exactly what that is because I had never heard of it before. Oh, 
Yeah, it kind of stinks. So that is working with hot wax. Wax is considered a binder for this powdery pigment that is universal in all paints, really. And you're working with melted wax. And when I was very young, I remember my mom (laughs) getting completely mad at me because I took a muffin tin and a hot plate and melted a bunch of crayons and started painting with that. She was happy with the result, but it was just the the little bit of uh, fire danger that scared her. So I'm using it in a way where I'm using the melted pigmented wax on a metal plate and then pulling mono prints and then Armin uses it completely differently than I do and Armin you want to describe that process yes although I don't think I'll be working with encaustic in the future because I had a studio that was part of this industrial building and you need a lot of space a lot of air and I liked it very much but uh uh, yeah, you do need that kind of equipment, that kind of space. I, I, I was an abstract artist, but at heart, I think I'm an abstract artist myself, what I really want to do. And so the encaustic let me be much more abstract than my my drawings are. So I got that little bit out of my soul, and it was wonderful like that. I think I replaced that with iPhone photography, iPhoneography, which I teach classes you know, all over the country through Zoom on that now. That's taken that abstraction that I mean. And it's interesting that you say that because looking at your, your drawings and your graphite drawings, it's they're so meticulously realistic. Yes. And you it took thousands and thousands of hours to get to that point and to veer off into iPhoneography and into the encaustics is, it seems like it's so disparate. I think it feeds different part of your soul. You're a musician and uh, you do different things that feed different parts of you as far as an ism in music is concerned. Is mm-hmm. it, that's how I imagine it to be. I, I play the guitar, but I play it very miserably. <laughs> you know, I chase away the neighbors when I play the guitar. But that's always been something, too. And when you're working on something for... Uh, well, the iPhoneography gives me that almost instantaneous idea of making art. It's a creative think tank. And that works great with pieces that take a thousand hours or more to do. So you can be creative on a daily basis and still put your whole mind into this journey that's a draw. And you're encapsulating a moment of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Exactly. I was just talking with another artist yesterday. And when you are mentioning the word improvisation, we started talking about that both of us had taken classes in improvisational comedy and how helpful that is in all walks of life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be able to respond with a yes and question and keep going. And I feel abstractionist is a, abstracting images is very much like an improv. Oh, yeah. Now, do you all ever work live with music? I do quite a bit. In fact, I had the thrill of a lifetime with the uh, Saginaw uh, Symphony Orchestra last, uh, well, it was just before shutdown, 2020 in February. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to perform and paint along with the symphony. 
And to do that, the conductor, the maestro, asked me if I would like to rehearse with them. And I said, oh, my gosh, that would be wonderful. So every rehearsal, I ended up with a finished painting. And yes. And his name, the maestro is Fouad Fakari, and he is excellent. And we had so many great conversations during that time period. And it was it was exciting. Oh, I bet. That's, that's amazing. So that was a full orchestra. What pieces of music did they to work with you? Okay, so it was a, the conductor was trying to blend a very contemporary musician or composer, let's say composer, yeah, composer, with classical. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically Haydn and then Torque. You may know some of this music, Tia. Mm-hmm. Also, it ended up that I was painting so passionately that we went into Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring. Which oh, wow so calming and he said do you want to just keep on painting through this and I said absolutely (laughs) it was was a good probably hour of painting in front of the audience that's (laughs) amazing now you didn't feel pressurized at this point you just felt like it's inspired I felt so inspired and like I said when the opportunity presented itself which was like this hey do you know anybody who could paint and with the symphony and I'm like Yes, I can. It was like that. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, you're on. And so I did not feel nervous. I just felt blessed. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, do you have any footage of this available anywhere for people to see? I do. I think Armin was out in the audience filming me. So let me uh, look that up for your uh, show notes. Yeah, and it, it came out great. I was in the audience, and she <laughs> took over, and she was on the uh, on the screen overhead with this concert. And it was, <laughs> it was real, and the pieces were amazing. So it was great to watch. Uh, I'm not quite as sophisticated as that. I listen to mostly Metallica and <laughs> <laughs> and let that crank in my studio, and I get all into it. It's really funny sometimes when we talk about music because Val listens to a lot of classical music and she's like a dervish. She just works crazy. I'm over there listening to Metallica and drawing these tiny little lines. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of a real different kind of approach. It's, a, it's definitely a personality thing. It shows up in the artwork and it shows up in the music sure. and the, the way that you move things. And I invite you all to to do some challenges and switch your music with each other and see what comes out. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be so interesting. Absolutely. Wow. It's just it's that vibration thing because music hits you in so many different ways. It makes you move in different ways and feel different things. So yeah. if, it would just be interesting to see what com- comes out of that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, the, the composer Torque, which was one of the uh, selections, his, his suite of material was based on colors. So absolutely hmm. spot on with that. Oh, that's cool. It is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's that's great. I wish I could have been there for that one. That would have been something to see. Um, but uh, the things that you're working on now, what are you guys both working on independently? I'm working on a series right now. It's called the 100 Years Series, which which almost sounds like Armin should be doing it because he has those thousands of eyes. Um <laughs> But I, it came out of a, a project that we have at Studio 23 
where I moderate a group called the 100 Day Project. And that's an international project. And so we gather artists and they commit to working. And this sounds easy, five to 10 minutes a day doing something creative. It sounds easy, but it, and then the whole premise is once you're into those five to 10 minutes, of course, you're going to stick around your studio a little longer and work much longer. So this series started from that and it's based on several elements. One, the typography of old signs down in the Southern Ohio region where I grew up. Also on crazy quilts, which was another part of our culture down there, the quilting culture. Hmm. And just a nod back to my uh, grandmothers, really. They're, they took flight in little eight by eight inch squares. And now I'm working on uh, five foot by three foot abstractions with this. So that's what, where I am right now. So change of scale, going larger. And yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Okay, and Armin, what are you working on? I've been working uh, for the last six or seven years on these uh, mostly tree pieces. They're winter trees, but I'm very um, passionate about drawing things that people don't normally look at. I wouldn't be the kind of guy to draw a path with a deer and maybe like that. I want my love of art and realism comes through the abstraction of space. I've been asked before, for instance, if, you know, when I do a two thousand hour drawing, which is more than a year, or why don't you just take a photograph of it? And I understand that question. I really do. But when you take a photograph of it, it's about the moment. First time you see it, it's about that moment. When you spend that kind of time, you draw every little branch. It's a journey. And that journey becomes so much part of you. You understand how a branch works with another branch, and why it looks that way. And, uh, I have the ability to put things in from my reference photos or take things out. I'm very free. I'm not a believer of drawing from a photo, but using the photo as an inspiration, so to speak. So the complexity of it gets me to be part of it in a really different kind of way than a photograph does. And, yeah, there's a lot of abstraction hidden away within that realism. But there's... A lot of, um, I don't know, I, I don't know the names of the art pieces and, and things that well, or the art forms. And I, I keep thinking of, this keeps coming to mind, and you tell me if this has any relation to anything um, that you know of. And I know this is a nebulous question, but um, in Japanese uh, or Chinese calligraphy, maybe it's Japanese calligraphy, and you you paint something with a brush, but it's a symbol usually or a phrase. But usually the thing that comes out on top is within that there's several other things written that you can't see anymore. Yes, I, I had a talk. This was years ago, East, East, West. I have a friend of mine, Louise Chen, she's from Taiwan. Uh, she's a very traditional artist in that method, and my art is being, my art being blessed. Uh, they are trained a lot of times to make the stroke. It's not about observation, like the traditional uh, uh, Chinese art isn't about observation as much. It's about making a mark and learning to make that mark that looks like a bamboo shoot or things like that. Where here we look at it create every little detail 
where she was capturing the spirit of that stroke. Mm. It had nothing to do with the, the realism of it, although they looked fantastically real. It had to do with really the spirit of that stroke of that movie. And it goes from instructor to student, and they become instructors and goes to students. It's a, it's a thing that's passed down through history. And they really have a respect for the history of mark making, which it, it's, it's a bit different than the way, at least I think. I'm friends with Louise Chen as well, and we've talked a lot about this. And I, yes, the learning from the master and the strokes and the calligraphy uh, are very precise and the... Um, the symbols that they use, and Tia, you're right, the, the symbols help lead you into what that word might be. So a tree might be a similar character to the shape of a tree, it's, and it becomes much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. So that, that part is fascinating. But what I really enjoyed hearing from Louise was when she deviated from her master, and she would say, now, this is traditional Asian painting. This is contemporary Asian. And I thought that when she would tell me those sorts of things, I would get very excited about that mark making. And in my own work with the typography of the old signs down in Southern Ohio, I often felt that a lot of those strokes that I would do with a, oh my gosh, about a 10 inch brush were very similar to the Asian calligraphy style. And that kind of excited me because it led on to the composition of the piece as well. So it does, it's very universal. Yes, symbols are very universal. Because I was thinking about what Armin was talking about too, about the spirit within, because I kept thinking of you, they would put a mark down, but the other mark would cover it completely. And that was the spirit within the final marking was the thing that you couldn't even see anymore. Well, and I think that happens in Western art, too. Um, mm-hmm. If you uh, x-ray a lot of the master's work, you see a completely different image than was at the top. I think when you put a mark down, it's part of an accidental process that makes you think of another mark. And that happens in realism as well. I'm not a copyist. I don't like mm-hmm. the photo realist, although that's what people call it. But there's a lot of things that happened that weren't planned. I keep them because I like them, or I get rid of them because I don't. But I, I think that your own work will inspire you to keep going on and on within that same piece. Mm-hmm. I think Val would do that with, with her abstraction, especially if your system, Val, you don't really know exactly what's going to come out of it. Oh, no. And a couple of things come to mind, a couple of words that play through my mind all the time. And one is the Italian word, pentimento, covering up and repeating over and over until you finally get to the the spot where you want to be, the sweet spot that I just spoke with another artist yesterday. That's what's so super about my job over at Studio 23. I, I meet lots and lots of artists, but he was explaining the Tableau Rousseau, and it's basically taking a slate of stone, making marks, and then covering them up over and over. So that goes way, way back in art history. Yeah, I I do. I like that history that you can tell in a visual arts piece. And also listening to basically classical music and jazz as well, where they layer the sounds on top of each other. That thrills me very much. 
Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. Metallica does the same thing, though. Oh, Metallica does the same thing. You are absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's different. It's just just a different stylizing of it. Yeah. There's so many angles you can go when you're doing this stuff with the with the iPhoneography. Now that's a completely new genre, basically, because we didn't have the iPhone 30 years ago. Well, you're correct. Photography changes when all of a sudden equipment changes. For instance, when Pell Polaroids came, mm-hmm. the art of photography changed. And the idea of having a camera with you all the time. When, uh, when they first came out with a camera on a phone, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. It's like having a lunchbox on a shovel. Just, it didn't make much sense to me at the time. But soon it did. And I could express myself on a daily basis. And actually, I was at the dentist the other day, and I was working on it. But you're not going to get that with what they would consider the normal cameras. And it's also the low-fi quality that makes you very creative. And uh, I created a, a way of making photos. I don't know if I've created it, but uh, it's out there called app stacking, where you don't leave any rumors, excuse me, any uh, oh, ideas about what app, what app you use. I mean, if you use one app, Everybody's using one app. But this is apps and then changing it. You actually have people that have been drawing and painting and doing those kinds of things. This works just like that. It is, in a way, uh, a form of drawing and painting, uh, more so than I thought it was. It's just, it, it blows my mind the things that are being created right now. And I keep thinking, if I live another 20 years, what's going to pop up? Because <laughs> it's going so fast, these new forms. Because for, what, hundreds of years, there was only paint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden, there was the uh, photography happened. But only after, what, five or 600 years of, of no photography. This is really built into... Uh, from the Renaissance on, people were doing optics you know, with lenses and things like that. A lot of the old masters didn't share everything the way they did things. And, and you can see this big step in the mirror where there was an almost camera look to it. And there was things invented that were in optics that people didn't even know about until just recently. So that... Camera obscura yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that that was and when photography really was, let's say in the eighteen seventies when it was really known, people thought realism would go away. Why draw something realistic? We need to just take a photo of. It. And I already stated that we must create. We are creative people. Every so I get people in the class and if I'm not creative, I ask, them, "What do you do for a living?" I'm not plumber. I said, "Do you ever have problems with things?" Oh, all the time. Now, how do you fix it? Oh, I just figure it out. Well, you just made a creative decision. You're a creative human being, as most of us are. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't like to admit that. Well, they don't. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I will say, oh, I can only draw a stick figure. And when you would actually listen to what they do and the ideas they come up with, the inventions they come up with, it's mm-hmm. all creative. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it, there's this whole, it's the same thing as uh, class distinctions, because back in the day, everybody who did art for a living had to have a patron because you couldn't, mm-hmm. still couldn't make a living as an artist without a patron. Sure. And so therefore it was 
art was not for the people. It was for only the upper classes who could pay for it. And we've gone back to that in a lot of different ways, or I guess we never got away from it completely. Yeah, yeah. People having paintings in their home is fairly new. In the days when the painter was the, the church, of course, you're going to paint religious pictures. And can you imagine all the hundreds and thousands of people that, that did art and you've never heard of them because there was no place to sell them and they just did it for the fun of it, I suppose. And especially happened with a lot of women artists. There was, there's more women artists than you think. But uh, because it was all male-oriented, uh, a lot of these people, their art is gone and forgotten. We're still fighting that battle it's, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's all of these things. You wouldn't think, and as creative as we are, it's why haven't we found a way around these problems yet? I always wonder that. But we all approach it in our own different ways. We're trying to bridge that gap as much as we can as in as many different ways as we can. I feel that the uh, social media scene for artists, and I feel that the younger artists are going to be the one to lead this charge. But you see a shift from being the only way you can sell your art is to be represented in a wonderful gallery. That model is gone. Mm-hmm. They are representing themselves on Instagram and Facebook and all of these different uh, places, Instagram especially. And so there are avenues now for artists to sell their work that is totally uh, brand new for people. And I, I find a lot of hope in that where art is getting out there. It's definitely one of the things that I find the same with music. It's like now we had to be basically become our own record label and all the jobs that all those people did, we have to do ourselves mm-hmm. um, so it's good and bad at the same time that's true it's good and bad because <laughs> you have a lot of stuff out there at the same time that mm-hmm. the quality control might be the issue but i guess because just because something sells a piece of art sells to a lot of people how can i word this but it might not it might be more of a uh, mediocre style that appeals to a lot where the edgier more vocal artwork tends to sit back and stay on the shelf. Well, it's, and that's, again, it depends on who your audience is, but the thing about the ways that we have of reaching people now in social media, we can actually reach the people who are looking for that edginess. Mm-hmm. Almost yes. exactly. So that's part of the gift in the gift first. <laughs> yes, very hopeful. I like that. I saw more work in the last two years through COVID than I ever have in any other two-year period in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't go off the gallery. I concluded what I would would do with a gallery. I respect galleries, and I do wish them the best. But they have to up the ante, too, and how, ante too, and how are they going to work with artists? Because you're paying them mm-hmm. 40%, and you're paying yeah. 50 or 60%. And they have to make that job mm-hmm. for you. Now, when you're selling your own work on Facebook or whatever, Instagram, there's a lot of work behind that and getting that out there. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like the gallery system, but it's going to be a gray area, I think, for, for years to come because of what we went through. And there's also, you're also competing with the fact that some people just don't want to have anything on their wall. I had a friend come in recently from, from California 
And we talked about that. I said, people have, you know, we were talking about the housing market and how anytime I go look for a house or something like that, the first thing I always look for is how many walls are there? Are there enough walls and what kind of height do we have? What can, how much art can we put up? You know, that's what I look for when I go to a house. And she's the total opposite. She is more of a Zen person who that stuff just makes her crazy. She likes bare walls. Oh, so it's, I mean, why not? It's like, so I, I know people that, nah, I don't listen to any kind of music. How do you live life without everybody has their own take? The funny thing about the thing is that most people who say that it's not really true, but they don't realize yeah. it because they're like, Oh, yeah, and like I do love that theme song, yeah. Oh, yeah, that jingle that they always play, I, it, it makes me tap my toe. They don't realize it, it's because there's music everywhere all the time. The ambience of that restaurant was really great, why? Because somebody was playing Coltrane in the background, so they just don't realize it. <laughs> I'd rather see blank walls in bed. That's a loaded, that's a loaded gun because uh, it's all about taste. So yeah, you know, because you can have that's the other thing too, because you can have blank walls, but then you have maybe you have little pieces of sculpture all over the place. Uh huh. You know yeah. that they're, they're very zen-like. It's one of those things you just don't know, or there's potted hand potted things or. Uh, hand-blown glass pieces or but it's very tranquil and zen i don't yes. think that uh you know we can compete against people who do sunsets and, and things like that there's more people that are attuned to that because it's beautiful and simple they don't have to overthink it Those people who yeah going back to photography those people will tell well uh, i'm trying to show an alternative way that on the way to the sunset, you're missing three shots of beautiful things in nature mm-hmm. that people don't look at. And those are the people that I want to connect with. But it's the minority. The good thing about this, now this is part of what I have been learning doing more and more stuff online because of the podcast, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that you really can literally pick those two million people out of the billion that are online. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for stuff to buy. <laughs> you think it's a minority, but a minority of a billion people is how much? You don't need that many. True. And that's where, you know, uh, the professional development of artists, of visual, we can find out who that niche market is. We It takes a little work, mm-hmm. but we can go into our Instagram feed and look at our followers and who's following us. And then... Mm-hmm. We know, okay, a bunch of architects are following me. Hooray. You know, that kind of thing. So it is easier to pick the needle out of the haystack right now. Absolutely. But it does take a little bit of business savvy to go along with it. Business savvy and in time and yeah, and the willingness to suck at something like learning all of this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Heard a speaker and one of the I also work for Golden Artist Paints and they I'm a lecturing artist for them through the Midwest and Mm -hmm. we had a conference and our keynote speaker was the artist Jackie Batten Battenfield and she wrote a book about in fact she received a grant to write the book on how to be um, uh, rejected from 1,000 art shows in a year. (laughs) (laughs) That was the premise. Great. She entered thousands of art competitions 
And sure enough, she did get rejected from a thousand, but she also was accepted in many of them. So yeah, it pays to suck and it pays to win. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. So, I love it. Is I love actually it. a chain yeah. piece. It isn't a single piece. It's a chain. One leads to the next, one leads to the next. And that's your heart. And yeah. I imagine musicians are saying you write a piece and you learn what's the best about it and what's not good about it. And then you go on from there. I would imagine people even like the, the Beatles wrote things that you'll never hear because, yeah, they suck. Put out a song that's really bad. Although people seem to do that. Yeah. It's one of those things, too, where you just never know what you think sucks might be the biggest hit in the world to a, a large amount of people. Yeah, that often happens so, with, with music. Or it's, you know, they don't think this is going to be mm-hmm. a big song. All of a sudden, they have to play for the rest of their life. Like Tina Turner, that yeah. song, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah. She hated that song. She didn't yeah. want to record it. There you go. Yeah, she did. And there's that I Will Always Love You right. that Dolly Parton wrote. She wanted to give it to Elvis, but Elvis's uh, manager wanted to take the publishing from her so she said turned elvis down oh man that's a great story it's just because she she said that's my baby i'm not giving that to you mm-hmm. you can sing it but you can you can lease it but you're not gonna it's just interesting the stuff that happens you just don't know the i just heard a, a podcast interview with the fifth oh, dimension sure. remember them Oh, and I guess I don't know. I don't remember the name of the the song that they were doing, but there was one of the songs they did that was not a hit here at all. Like nobody, it was like a B side of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess it was the number one hit in Germany, and they never because years later they went to Germany and they were like, "Are you going to sing this song? Are you going to sing this song?" And they were like, "What song is that? We don't even know that song anymore. We never because nobody had ever asked for it ever, you know." Right. Tom Petty, they were right in the beginning, they were a huge hit in Germany. I don't know what's up with Germany, but uh, they came back here and they couldn't even play coffee shop. Although there were crowds of people that obviously Mm. that changed. But uh, it's interesting to see how other people's, I love reading biography, especially on on, uh, musicians. I love it. And I'm much more influenced by music than the visual arts. Which is interesting because the guitar thing is a secondary or tertiary (laughs) or quad (laughs) to the color world. Yeah. So so you just never know where your stuff's going to take you. And I think I find the hardest thing for me is if I do start on a project and I've pretty much got that particular song completed but then all of a sudden i start thinking more along more songs in that same kind of genre but that's not what i'm supposed to be doing right now and i'm like oh no you can't work on that right now because you got to finish this other thing you don't have time to do both when you're that, in that great thing when they're on stage and they play that song and the whole is interpreting it and applause Visual artists are not quite like that. You don't ever see yourself putting a piece in a gallery and everybody's applauding and going crazy. Your piece to your heart. I'm sure it makes a difference, as we know, because Valerie, you just did that with the symphony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and it created a whole different vibe for you. A whole different vibe, absolutely. And then after it was completed, the audience would come right down to where I was painting and ask me all sorts of questions. It was very interactive. And that's what I tell folks when they're attending a an opening for a visual arts show. I said, 
if the artist is present, please talk to them because this will be the one of the only times you'll be able to see the art and the artist at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge opportunity. And that is the difference between the performing and the visual arts world. But you're also a composer, Tia. Yes. yes. And so I did a, um, a whole series called Composer's campaign, which was based in my mind. In fact, it woke me up in the middle of the night and I wrote it all down of a composer going into a battle and orchestrating the battle. And so it was based on an old campaign desk Hmm. that the uh, composer sat there and, and figured out this whole plan for the attack. And so it's funny how music is a thread through lots of visual art and, and art history. We're we're trying so hard as artists to encapsulate this thing that's more than three-dimensional. And I don't know, again, I was listening to that podcast where they were talking to the Fifth Dimension people, um, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. And they had said that the name of the group, the Fifth Dimension, the Fifth Dimension, in that particular, they had based it on an article they had read at that time. So this was probably 1965, when when the band first got together. Mm -hmm. And they said that the Fifth Dimension was sound. And I had never heard that before. I was like, oh, what's the fourth dimension? Then <laughs> maybe it's visual art. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that is something. Yeah. Well, with, with all know, so, of this, visual arts, or the musical arts, or theater, there's a there's an area that I don't know if we can put that in words. It's like describing love. And you can't really describe it. You can mm-hmm. sing songs about it, you can do art on it, but it really doesn't go deep enough. And I think that's that creative process within these art forms that is still a bit of a mystery. You can't really plan out to be great. Either you're going to be or you're not. Well, that's where the theater comes from because mm-hmm. every person is working in the theater or every department of the theater is working on a different part of that whole of trying to encapsulate that spirit of creativity, that spirit of the arts, because it is more than three-dimensional. And so you need these different kinds of people who are, their senses are attenuated to light or to sound or to rhythm or to painting or to sketching or to etching or or creating three-dimensional pieces. And everybody has a different way of movement. And Mm -hmm. we're trying to create this 10-dimensional object. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it, just, it just seems that's what we're trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. We're all doing it independently. And when we get together, you have theater and movies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. Because yes. now we and now we're going uh, holographic. <laughs> so eventually we're going to have holographic. And then, and then it'll go to another level of that, because that's where you're starting to get into fourth, fifth, six dimensions and on into the multiverse. <laughs> you know? well, look what's happened in 50 yeah. years. Oh. It's amazing that I can sit here and tell a little thing to play any song that I want to hear from anywhere in the world, basically. You know, I thought about mm-hmm. that when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Well, that's science fiction. That'll never happen. And here it is. I was so bummed back, I guess it was probably the early 2000s and I got the first iPod, the ones yeah. that had the dial that held like 150 gigabyte, gigabytes of material in it. I had about four or 500 albums and I put them all in there and I could carry my entire music library in my pocket. I was so yeah. amazed by that. 
And then it broke. And then they didn't make them anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But now it's like, it's all streaming. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. like, I used to have a list that I used to carry around with me all the way through high school of all the compositions that I wanted to purchase because I didn't own them. And this was all classical music at that time because in high school, in symphonies and played a lot of classical music. And that was what I was listening to. And I had this huge list of things I wanted to buy over time so that I had a real music library. And I'm like, now it's I wouldn't bother because I can't store them and and it's too hard to move. And as an artist, you have to travel light, but now I can get them and it's just on a, it's just an MP4. It's amazing. And it's really changed. It's the quality, at least of a CD, maybe not in the old analog album days, it's the quality of a CD. I can't tell the difference. And that happened within four or five months. It had probably happened years and years on their end. But then I started listening to music in high def just by asking my, can't say the name because she'll answer. But, <laughs> you know, so I say, <laughs> yeah, you know, it'll right, just right. be there and whatever. The things that, that have happened in our lifetime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that it can that are still going to be happening. It just amazes me how quickly it's all going. I don't know where it's going to end up, but <laughs> it, it's something to see and to use to keep up with that, I think is been the biggest issue for the artists that are my age or older mm-hmm. is keeping up with it so they can continue doing what they're doing and mm-hmm. reach people. I've seen or heard of a lot of bands that they're making their living, maybe off of touring, they were struggling. And they still are. I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories on that front. Everybody's still stuck in the old model because the new model came up so quickly and they're still stuck in the old model and they don't know how to get out of it. And that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's very, in, in my generation, for sure, we need to stay up with technology. If Just very simple things. We need to operate via email. We need to be communicating being able to be in touch with. We need to know social media. And and it gets better and better, but it is a different model, Tia. You're right. And for someone to say, oh, I just don't do it that way, that doesn't cut it anymore as an artist. You must be curious. You must be curious and learn all of it. And I get it because it's intimidating and there fo- folks don't want to, once you've been doing something for 50 plus years, mm-hmm. you don't want to appear as if you don't know what you're doing. Oh, I know. And I so know. there's that fear to suck. Right. <laughs> you know, there we go. Publicly. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, you have to get over it because if you want to do anything or make sell your your wares, you have to get over that. Even if you just have to spend the money and hire somebody who does know how to do it exactly. or something, if you're not going to yeah. learn how to do it. So this is a call out to all the artists out there who listen. We love you. We want to see your work out there. We want to see you keep going. We want to see you be able to pay your bills. Uh, there are, if you have not joined uh, Tia Time with Artist Lounge on Facebook, you should join our group. And if you want to send me an email or on that group and talk to me about some things that I'm learning about, I will share that stuff with you offline about things to build your business and make money online. Anyhow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, totally. we have to do it because we we, we need our artists. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So what are some bucket list items you guys want to do independently and possibly together? 
with your art? One thing I would like to do, and this would be with Armin, and hopefully within a year, I would love to go back to his country, Germany, and just go through museums, meet other artists, maybe even do an artist's residency as a collaborative piece. Hmm. So that is on my bucket list. I'm pretty close to, to Val. I just, I wake up in the morning and I'm excited that I'm an artist and, and felt feel the same way as I did in my 20s with that. That's how I rate my success. It's still such an amazing thing to be able to do. But yes, I'd like to go back to my home country. I haven't been back for a while. And maybe find that song by the Fifth Dimension that you're talking about. <laughs> we'll ask for it. We'll do karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet it's still there. I bet it is. Here somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh. All right, so where can people find you online independently and also your other projects? Okay, I'm on Instagram, Valerie Allen Art. And on Facebook, I'm on Valerie Allen. We also have our brand new Facebook page, Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. And Armin? Uh, I have a website, um, arminmersman.com. I'm also on Facebook part of Art Ladders. I run a, uh, a group called the Greater uh, the Great Lakes iPhonography Group, which has amazing artists in it with the iPhone things. So I've got my foot in a lot of stuff right now. I hope we all can stay healthy and uh, positive and uh, share what we love. That's what I want to do. Glad to hear that. Thank you both Thank so you. very much for coming on Tia Time today. It's, it's great talking with you and having a conversation about art and and interdimensionality and improvisation and creation and Metallica and classical music. I don't think we could have gone down more rabbit holes. I love it. So thank you so much. And Tia, Tia, thank you very much. And maybe you'll consider being a guest on our podcast. I I would love it. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website, tiaviolin.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate your comments and will mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Lines of Bend, Michigan or JAM. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed on the show or start new ones with like-minded people, join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artists. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. 
and also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.